In 1858, outside Boston, a bat and ball game was created, which came to be known as the Massachusetts game or town ball. It's not the New York game most people know, with a diamond field and three bases. Rather, in this game, there was only one out per inning. The infield was a square, and there wasn't even a foul territory. There were plenty of reasons why the New York game won out over the Massachusetts game as our national pastime. Most notably, the geometry of the New York game made it both aesthetically pleasing and playable. But the geometry of the Massachusetts game was awkward and off kilter. Many who have played both styles, however, recognize that there are some aspects of the 1858 game that make it preferable to the New York version. What if there was a game that had the geometric appeal and playability of the New York version and the unorthodox aspects of the popular Massachusetts game? 21st Century Town Ball is an attempt to be just that. With a couple tweaks added in 2012, like a physical strike zone, five total bases, stealing first base, and the ball always being live, the goal of 21st Century Town Ball has been, and always will be, to forestall the growing exodus from bat and ball. Let's bring people back to the game. Welcome to the 21st Century Town Ball Podcast. I am your host, Grant Moore, and today we are on the third episode of our first chapter through Town Ball's history, and let me tell you, this is an episode like none other. Today you'll be hearing from the Brad Visaki, who not only got to witness Town Ball's inception at University High School in Fresno, but was in the room where it happened, so to speak. Hey, that's a Hamilton reference, isn't it? <clears throat> yes, it is. Moving on, Kermit. Second to Daniel Jones, Brad's input and influence is what activated the process that has led to what the game is today. Some important facts about Brad are that he was in Jones's elective class called Origins of the American Pastime, where the invention of town ball was solidified. He was the one who procured official club status for town ball with the UHS student body government. He was the first captain of the New York Mutuals, which you may remember Mason mentioning on the last episode, and as captain of the Mutuals his senior year, Brad led the league in home runs, in RBIs, and in slugging percentage. Brad is the reason that we use round bats in town ball, not flat cricket bats. He's known as the Babe Ruth of town ball, partly because he always wore a Yankees hat, partly because of his baby face, and partly because he played just like Ruth, especially by hitting home runs. I can't wait for you to hear what Brad has to say about town ball, sportsmanship, critical thinking, how the game was a kind of rallying point for what he would call the school ruffians, and how Daniel Jones was such a meaningful person to him in his life, town ball and beyond. When Brad and I started our interview, we realized we actually had never really met each other formally, so I first caught him up on how I met Jones and got involved in Town Ball. Here we go. I grew up in Oregon. Um, I started going to college outside of Portland at a school called George Fox University. My younger brother went to Veritas school in Newburgh for one year. And that's the school that Jones has been teaching at for five years. Jones had only been there for a year. Yeah. This was like uh, fall 2018 when my brother started going. Town ball was an after school thing. And my brother checked it out and started playing in, in indoors during the winter. And then in the summer they started playing outside. And then my brother invited me to a game one summer at like a state park nearby and I didn't really know how much fun it was or what to expect. I kind of just went along as my brother wanted me to come. I had seen them play indoor before, but I didn't really think it was all that amazing. But then once I played an outdoor game, that was really when the spark lit for me. And I was acquainted with Jones before that, but that was the day where I, I met him and, and got to know him a little bit better. And that's when he kind of turned on his recruiter mode 
when he learned I was a college student, he's like, let's just get games going at your school. Let's get a club going. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he kind of just recruited me on the spot. That's and, awesome. You know, typical Jones. Then for the next year or two, I tried to get pickup games going at my school. And it wasn't until basically by the time I graduated that there was really any traction. So there's a little bit of a group that plays now that's connected to my college, but it's still mainly the group of high schoolers that goes to school there where Jones teaches. But uh, yeah, four summers ago, so we're coming up on four years since I started getting involved with Town Ball with him. And now, like, it's my favorite one of my favorite things in the whole world so i love that yeah yeah jones is an amazing man he's one of the kindest most real people i've ever met Um, so incredibly influential for such a humble man yes yes yeah very just his provocation of just critical thinking and deep thought is what really brought about sort of the the foundation building blocks of town ball. How we, so? You know, we started playing cricket at UHS um, in Fresno, California mm-hmm. uh, during our lunch period for about an hour each, you know, lunch session. And we would go out, play a quick game and then go back to class. And that was just kind of everyday lunch period. And whoever short sort of showed up would, jump in and we kind of started to get like a regular group of guys to do this and we figured you know i my opinion about cricket was that the game was just too slow for me you could spend that hour of lunch period watching just two guys back back and forth and all you're pretty much as a fielder for an hour straight and i wanted something that was more exciting i mean i you know, and then you step up to bat, you hit once, you get out, and that's your shot. That's it. Yep. So we decided, you know, how can we make this – how can we change this? We try to play baseball, and, I mean, we were playing – we were playing these games just in the front of the school. We weren't even allowed to be playing sports in these areas. We were just sort of ruffians, um, <laughs> kind of – powwowing outside of the school we would always get told you know you're not allowed to play out here you're gonna hit people we'd hit we'd hit the ball into oncoming traffic or we'd hit buildings or whatever people it's a college campus people are walking by and there's just these high schoolers you know running around everywhere i'm sure we were nuisances but we've decided you know let's try to see what we can change about this game And the next year, all the guys who played cricket graduated, and it was just kind of Jones and I in my class, sort of. And we were trying to figure out, you know, well, baseball is kind of lame, too. Baseball, you just stand out there in right field for three outs, and, well, that's not too much fun, you know. How how can we really change it up? So we start playing bat and ball games during lunch, and Jones and I start talking. At this point, I'm in his geometry debate style class. Yeah. And this really is what kind of founded this idea of how how can we create a game um, and how can we manipulate based on like axioms and principles. So we decided that we loved playing games during, I guess, recess or lunch, whatever it was so much. We tried to figure out how to, wiggle our way into making it an elective and at university you take your electives for two weeks at the beginning of winter quarter winter session and at the end of the summer session that's university high school right yeah university and we went to the principal about it and he goes well you have to have x amount of students willing to join the class because it's a curriculum based we have to have an educational motive we have to have interest in the class you can't just have 10 dudes standing out there playing baseball and make it count for education right so jones comes up with this idea well let's make it about american tradition bat and ball games because baseball wasn't the first bat and ball game there were a ton of them so that's what this class was about it was kind of our sneaky way into figuring out how we could play baseball for three hours a day and get school credit for it 
Oh, so it was kind of like a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. I didn't know that. It, it absolutely was. It was us doing what we do best and trying to figure out how we can kind of break the rules without really breaking the rules. Jones created this curriculum. I kind of rounded up a couple of guys who were interested in the class. And come elective season, you get priority based on your year in school, you know, seniors getting the highest priority for classes. Well, it dwindles down to a bunch of people not having electives and needing to pick a random class just to fill the elective. <laughs> so half of this bat and ball, the elective is people who want to be there and are interested. And the other half is just random freshmen who literally couldn't pick anything else. Nice. Um, you know, some of these guys ended up being ones that played for years after I graduated um, hilariously enough. And they were the ones there who kind of created the game, but we do this bat and ball game. And, and the object of the class is you and a partner are paired together and you present the class an early American bat and ball game. That's not baseball. And you teach the class how to play. The class plays the game for that day. And the next day, the process repeats with a different group, different ball game. Well, we start realizing about the, you know, second hour into the game, if we really like playing this game or not. And we would kind of have fun with it. Well, let's change this rule. Let's add this rule from this game and see how that goes. Well, we stumble upon this game called the Massachusetts game. And the Massachusetts game has four bases and you can peg the person to get them out instead of just tagging them. And we loved it. So the next day, another class or another group presents their game. And we say, well, why don't we add pegging into this game and see, you know, if we can throw it <laughs> at somebody because that's way more fun. We start welting kids because we realize we're using the wrong ball. <laughs> and, uh, sending some kids home with bruises. And, and we kind of had to put a stop to that because this is supposed to be educational and we don't want to hurt anybody. So this is kind of how we started playing with different style, different weight balls, figuring out what's the appropriate, you know, size as well, because we changed to like a racquetball, which worked well for the pegging. But me, I really liked to hit. I really liked to hit it far. Yeah. And you couldn't really launch a racquetball that far. And so we needed something heavier and we went heavier, the more of a softball style. Well, that's too hard to peg somebody with. And so this kind of idea of all these, different games as it evolves sort of Frankenstein in the style pushed together all these different rules. Well, we would start class by the individuals teaching and we'd go to the drawing board and kind of figure out how to do it before we walked out on the field. You do the presentation. And at the end of the class, we started to um, go back to the drawing board and really find out different rules that we like work. And what semester was this in about at this point? Oh, man, I think this was my maybe 2012 or 2013, maybe 2013. I think it was my junior year. Okay, so because um, Jones has told me that it was January of 2012 when that first elective started. That's possible. Uh, that is possible. It's been, man, it's been such a long time now. Yeah. Um, somewhere around there. Okay, but that but that's um, what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, that's the that's the time frame I'm talking about. So the way that the game evolved is we decided to go back to this geometry debate style of the rules of the game. Somebody would present their game and they would say, Okay, the object of the game is to run from first base to second base. And you score points by going home. Okay, we all know that. That's easy. Well, we'd go out and play the game. And instead of running in a straight line, traditionally from first base to second base, we would take off and run around the building. And they'd say, whoa, 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 you can't do that. Well, based on your rules, based on your axioms, you know, we, there's nothing regulating saying that you cannot run outside of the boundaries. And so we would really start tweaking and getting into trying to like out manipulate each other. Exploit the all the loopholes. Exploit everything based on what you said the rules were. And we would come back and say, well, you said these are the rules that you said, you know. And so it was really just a bunch of nerdy, geeky kids figuring out how they could like out chess somebody else while playing sports. And that's awesome. 
we at first we were using the cricket bat and wickets as our like out zone. And I didn't like that somebody could throw it on the ground and hit the wicket and get somebody out. So we decided, okay, well, let's build a batter box. So we went online. We looked up the regulation for what an average MLB batter box is. And the next day we come to class with this prototype. And we were playing this game after every person's like orientation. And we finally just decided, you know what? Let's say we did, but not play this game. Let's just work on this other game that we're creating together as a class. So as you said, yeah, it was very tongue in cheek. And this batter box was just like the cruddiest, like PVC pipe with a string, you know, kind of construct that we just try to put together and it would break every day. We would find a new way to break it. And the next day we'd come back and build it differently. Yeah. Are you talking about the zone or the actual batter's box that you stand in? the zone okay the zone. that's how okay. this was created was we were just bringing this kind of like frankenstein object out to the field putting it together every day and saying oh that doesn't really work we need to do it this way we need to do it this way and it kind of evolved into what the zone is today just from failures of one of us breaking it or one of us tipping it over and then saying, well, if it tips over is that the new zone you know we don't have a rule for that and trying to be cheeky about it i suppose it's very so, iterative, like very yeah. like sequenced out. Like you had to do so much trial and error. How much trial and error had to happen until the you got the game that we all play now? That's a great question because we had the foundation for the game probably about 70%, 80% solid after that elective. Um, we were playing pretty much a very rough version of Town Ball by the end of it. There were a couple rules that changed um, because I was starting to just get wild. Other people were starting to get wild with the rules. There would be points where we would run up to the base and pull the stake out and run with the stake until the next one. Well, we're safe. Or pull the stake out to try to fake out the pitcher. We were doing hidden ball tricks all the time to get people out. And that's kind of how all those ideas started to come into play was – we just didn't have a rule saying you couldn't do it. So until that kind of ironed itself out into what we were okay with, you know, the size of the ball, what we were okay with, we got a couple different tests. I remember Jones going online and finding a supplier for these from the balls that were used. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It was a 1949 style baseball. It was a old school leather baseball that they used to use. And one of the games that we played during the elective used that ball. Okay. And we were like, I wonder what that is. And so we researched it. We found it. We played with it. And we said, this is perfect. It's the perfect weight. It's the perfect kind of softness without being a softball, but without being a baseball. It had this like genuine leather design. It felt real old timey. And so. Was we, it the continuous figure eight spiral or was it like the lemon peel? The lemon pitching? peel one. Oh, yeah. No, that's my favorite too. Yeah. Yeah. So. When did teams like solid solidified teams begin? Was that did that not happen until the club got like official status with the with like the student government? Because I think you had a hand in that, right? Yeah, we I had a pretty decent hand in that. So we decided we were playing this game the following year after the elective, right? Because we had summer, and I remember Jones calling me a lot, texting me a lot, brainstorming, really getting ready for the school year. We came back, we started playing town ball in the front courtyard, which you're absolutely not allowed to play sports in. And teachers were walking by, some of them kind of shaking their heads and some of them kind of approving of our, you know, lawlessness, I suppose. And we started to get quite a gathering of people during lunch. People would spend their lunch breaks watching us play the game. And we'd had, you know, groups of people who would sit and cheer on other people or just eat lunch and watch the craziness, you know. We'd have 20 people playing the game or something, running around all the time. And as time progressed, we would choose people who we knew we wanted on our team. Like, we had rivalries really bad. We would say, oh, no, you're not on my team. Like, we're, we're going head-to-head this time, you know, or I want to get you out, so you're not on my team. And we just kind of had this, like, friendly competition And we kind of segregated that way. When the elected came back around for choosing like a tournament style, that's when we chose how to do teams. 
And I used to wear a New York Yankees hat in high school for years. I think it was just so fade you barely tell what it was. But I used to wear that hat every day. It was gross. And Jones <laughs> goes, well, I think you should be a captain. Uh, John Souden was the other captain. Brilliant man. He was huge in the uh, production of Town Ball as well. Um, and then Jones was the third captain. And he Jones goes, well, how do you want to – or what team do you want to be? I said, well, I want to be the New York Yankees. And he goes, well, that team doesn't exist in this kind of cricket-based team league or you know, whatever the game was. And he goes, but the New York Mutuals exist. I said, perfect. I can still wear my hat. <laughs> and so that's how the <laughs> Mutuals was born. It wasn't based on any kind of, I suppose, logical reason other than I wanted to wear my Yankees hat. And oh my gosh. started this crazy New York Mutuals legacy of uh, everybody, you know, and then so we got jerseys and we said, well, we need a way to fund this. Like we can't all just pitch in like 20 bucks, you know, we're high schoolers or whatever. And we're not a legal, we're not legally allowed to sell things on campus like a pizza without being part of a student government club. Right. Uh, we tried to do that. We got in trouble. We were trying to do it under <laughs> the radar, like, selling selling snacks or selling pizzas on the side and the teachers caught on to it which <laughs> i haven't yeah. heard that before <laughs> yeah we were selling uh boxed costco pizzas for like two dollars a slice out of jones's classroom and, is there uh, any profit margin on that thing at all you know it was like we'd make like 40 bucks in a you know 40 bucks in a, a hour or something like that and we thought it was big money oh my gosh uh, <laughs> so, oh they caught wind of it and put a a stop to that right away. Um, so that's what forced us to actually become part of the student body is we were trying to do this without anybody telling us what we could and couldn't do. But in order to legally do that, so we went and we pitched our idea. And of course, you know, there's a bunch of rules. Well, you got to have this many people. We said, oh, we already have the people. Um, that's not a problem. So we had to elect somebody and we became the president of the club and would talk to Dr. Bushman, our principal, about, you know, all this kind of stuff. We would meet every other week or something decide what we want to do with the money um decide if the money is going to be towards renovating our zone or if it was going to be towards buying new catcher's mitts or catcher's mask or buying new bats um i think i even designed and and carved out with the sawzall like a, a holder for all the bats in jones's classroom nice. so we were just like using his class as like a, a stakeout for the ruffians it was just like a <laughs> a weird time and a math and, class of all places yeah and i remember you know going quote unquote going to the restroom from one class and coming into jones's class and like get some stuff that i needed or you know I would, yeah it yeah just, it was just a great time and um that's sort of how this all kind of came together it was just a bunch of guys who didn't like baseball didn't like cricket and we slowly tried to outmaneuver each other, outwit each other. And we made up our own rules based on these games that we played during an elective that we liked. And I remember sitting in Jones's class and we were trying to figure out a different way to make the field. Yeah. How do we design a, a base running? And well, going back to the Massachusetts game, that had fourth base, but fourth base was also first base. So it was really confusing. And Jones goes up to the board and draws a Fibonacci sequence and says, well, why don't we just put fourth base geometrically equal right behind first base, equidistant to, you know, side B or whatever from, yeah, yeah. from first base to second base and call it that. And that's when it clicked. It was just, oh, there's the game. There it is. That makes sense. And that changed everything. You had an added the fifth base. Yeah. Or was that adding the fifth base? So you just talked about. It was adding, we were playing variations of town ball, where I guess we were playing other American bat and ball games. And when we decided on the base formation is when the game really became set in stone. That yeah. this was a whole new idea. This is a whole new strategy way to play. So, so was the, which came, was this kind of a chicken or the egg thing with the idea of having a fifth base and then realizing we should make this like the Fibonacci sequence in the golden ratio or did the math aspect come first and then that guided where to put the bases? 
from what I recall, it's kind of the same time. We were trying to figure out where to put this extra base that the Massachusetts game had that we were playing, but in a better position. Because you would have to run back to first to get home. Yeah, that's weird. We didn't like the collision of everything happening. And so you'd have to run through the batter's box at that point, right? You it was just kind of running through it because there wouldn't be a batter there. They would just kind of move out of the way the same way like a batter would move out of the way for someone running from third to home. Okay. Yeah. See, my I don't have baseball brain like everybody else would have at that point. Right. Yeah. At that point, yeah, it would be very, you know, stereotypical baseball. So that's when Jones decided let's let's do it this way. And we measured out what we thought would be the correct, you know, distance in feet from a regular baseball first to set uh, a batter's box to first. And then we doubled that ratio for the C side, the base two to three, which would be the same as the D side three to four. And then from four to home. Yeah. Using, using the Fibonacci sequence. So it became like this, like nerdy golden ratio rule that we, kind of established and we were proud of and it really related back to how we fundamentally thought of the game reverting back to like our you know debate based geometry days yeah when when did town ball move on from just becoming a bunch of pickup games at lunch to something that actually had seasons and stats and it it felt like legitimate in that sense so I think that was my last year, my senior year. Okay. Um, we went over, we went to do the elective again, and Jones really pushed for kind of recording. I wasn't really big into the stats at the time. I just wanted, I was more interested in how I could find all the loopholes in people's rules. But we found somebody who was absolutely brilliant, and she joined the elective pretty much to be our scorekeeper. And I first remember it being Caitlin Webster. Okay. I'm not too sure. But they found a way to kind of keep scores similar to baseball statistics in the sense that whoever is batting, you know, did they make it to first or second? How many pitches were they pitched before they hit the ball? Did they hit the ball at all? Did they make a home run out of it? Did they get out at third? Did they, you know, calculating batting averages? And I think that really propelled the entire sport forward because we had some really smart people who decided to put the stats online and really calculate everyone's stats together. And you could see like, oh, so-and-so has this batting average or so-and-so has this pitching average, which really kind of stoked the competition fire. I have a note but, from Jones saying that you led the league in home runs and RBIs and slugging percentage in your senior year. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, we were. I was just trying to hit that ball as hard as I could, as far as I could. Yeah. Um, and I really didn't pay attention until afterwards when the stats were brought up, sort of how many home runs I had been hitting. Um, and I mean, We've been playing this game every single day. So my hand-eye coordination back then was probably significantly better than it is now. My reaction time, I could read. I knew all the pitchers who pitched to me. Jones was notorious for stepping out of the catching position and going up to the pitching position when I came up to bat (laughs) just to make sure that I didn't get another home run off of somebody else. And if I did, it would be his own fault. So we we had a, a rivalry because everybody would say, oh, Brad's coming up. And he he would switch out really quick. And then I would switch batters with someone just to throw him off because the batting order wasn't established. That was one of our fun rules of you have to go at least once, but you can change the order, which is crazy. I you know, love that rule. That's it's, one of it's my favorite incredible. rules. It's an incredible rule. And we actually did that similarly in the elective of saying, well, you didn't tell us we couldn't. You just said everybody had to bat once. You didn't tell us you had to keep the same lineup. And so I would throw in guys to go bat, and then I would try to go do cleanup because oh, yeah. I had, you know, the home run 
uh month, i like doing that too <laughs> or i would yeah it's it's the best feeling ever you know or or sit there and bat a couple times take the strikes but know that you're gonna hit it so that was always the best part about town ball just getting up getting to bat yeah i i sometimes i'll steal just because i have to you know, like if it's a situation where literally no one's on base and I don't have to bat anyone around, the only thing getting in the way of me just trying to steal is probably my own ego at that point. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think the thing that kept me from it was I did have quite an ego when towards the end of my senior year, because we were just so heavily involved in this. It was like eat, sleep, breathe this game. Mm. And we had huge competitions, huge rivalries. We were wearing our jerseys thinking we were super cool, you know, during game days that we were going to play. And it would just be people. We went to a performing arts academic school. We did not have sports. We did not have any kind of athletic outlet besides maybe PE. And the types of people that went to the school, majority of them were not interested in athletics anyways. So this was like all we had. Yeah. And it was a big deal to us. Um, I think it was super interesting how my game style changed when I went back as an alumni. Because oh, tell me about that. There were people that I'd never met before playing a game that we created. And that just blew my mind. That was like, oh my gosh. I thought I thought it was gonna die. When I graduated my senior year, I thought it was going to be over. And, you know, we had guys like, you know, Tommy Sanchez, Mason Molinax, just kind of, they were part of the elective, you know, they were, I remember them being super skinny, little dorky kids, <laughs> you know, they just, yeah, they, they're still kind of like that. They're just taller. You know, they were just <laughs> freshmen or, you know, whatever. And we kind of, we picked them last string because they were freshmen and we wanted you know people who had hit puberty to go play this game and we'd always give them our time and then these guys grew up to be outstanding men and continue this game and be brilliant individuals who you know are still keeping the fire alive on it stoking the hearth and um they became part of our crew you know i remember mason having an arm on him uh for being younger and I wanted somebody to kind of take over my pitching legacy because I really love to pitch. And I thought that was kind of the heart and soul town ball because my idea of town ball was that the pitcher has so much control over the game. At least when I was playing, I felt that I had a lot of influence on whether we played safe or try to strike someone out or try to fool someone and doing ball hidden tricks. Uh, I wanted somebody who had some potential that way. Yeah. Um, it was definitely that guy. Yeah. Another couple notes that Jones gave me beforehand is that um, you were instrumental in the debate regarding what kind of bat to use for the game. People wanted to use a cricket bat, but you presented the option of doing a round bat. Uh, do you even recall this? I do. I had played regular baseball from t-ball all the way up from this you know probably five years old and i was used to a round bat and i think we brought out a metal bat one day and we realized the power and it was just too much we were yeah. just absolutely those who could hit were just launching it i think i think we hit it oh man i want to say over the size of a football field because we played on a football field and we Ooh. would clear into a science and engineering building at fresno state we'd put it on the roof <laughs> and that was like we were losing too many balls and we, it was cool to hit but we figured well um you know and i just didn't like the cricket bat it was too it was too clunky to me so you would see these smaller figures holding this giant cricket bat comparatively i mean we're going you know some kids were only 14 years old at this point trying to hold a, a regulation sized cricket bat was huge. And then to watch them try to swing it like a normal baseball bat, which cricket is not played that way. Cricket is tipped almost 
like a golf swing to try to watch them awkwardly swing that bat it was like a chopping motion and we weren't getting the type of field play that we were wanting it felt like the game was almost just a a competition between if the pitcher could strike the zone and if a catcher could get the ball in time so it wasn't a successful bat and ball game and that's the question that we ask ourselves constantly like is this is this what we think a bat and ball game is are we are we performing and executing what we think this game should be? And that was kind of why we'd go back to the drawing board all the time was this isn't right. Well, the kind of Goldilocks in the middle was a wooden bat. You couldn't launch it too far. It's what the MLB uses. And you couldn't, or you can actually swing it, especially the smaller kids. As I said, we went to a performing arts school. We did not have big, beefy individuals trying to play this game. You know, you you had swing music, not swing the bat. <laughs> yeah, we had a bunch of band nerds who would play orchestra during the you know evening and would play baseball during lunch. <laughs> Some of them becoming, as they grew up, outstanding individuals for sure. But that's kind of how we figured out what bat we wanted. It was very, it was very cut dry. Does this work or not? Yeah, that's how a lot of the game was designed, and we sort of. And uh, the question that you asked earlier was, when did it become, you know, kind of solidified? It's really easy to figure that out. You know, we we're playing a game. Does this work? Nope. Okay, we change it. There's no rules. We make the rules. So that's how the ball came about. That's how the bat came about. The bases. I really loved pegging people. Pegging's in the game. It's great, you know, being able to. We had some crazy plays with that. I remember Tristan Chester throwing it all the way from outfield, meaning to, meaning to throw it to whomever was at home, missing his partner and actually hitting the runner straight oh in the head gosh. and getting him out. And it was oh like the gosh. most amazing thing i could ever think of at the time it was incredible we just stopped playing the game after that you can't get better than that it's just legendary stuff like that that we were like okay we're keeping this in the game or just watching goofballs run from first base completely around an entire building to second base and saying well there's no baseline you know it was just degeneracy at its finest a bunch of sandlot <laughs> kids uh running around so it's been you know over 10 years since the game concept and then the proof of concept has been tested out. What, what have your thoughts been just in observing the continuation of, of the game in the last like maybe four years or so more recently? I would say my mind is completely blown. Um, I never thought that this would take off nearly as much as it has um as i said i thought it was going to die after i graduated coming back to play the alumni game you know we have people on our board now who are professors at universities that play this game um that's incredible we have people in multiple different states who play the game that we created years ago in an elective and we have stats we have Instagram pages. Instagram like was just coming out when I was in high school. None of us had an Instagram. I think my first Instagram post was a high school prom picture. <laughs> it was like Instagram had just come out. So to have Town Ball be a social media thing, we didn't think that was possible. I'm not nearly as involved as I wish I could be, um, or, I, or I wish I should be. Um, but going through some of the posts, it just really brings a smile to my face because I see myself in those young individuals. There was a post on there where they're they use they're using painters tape as the zone on a wall, and they're using traffic cones as the bases, and that's totally what we did. We just figured out, hey, what works, what doesn't, you know, and that's that's town ball. That's the glory of town ball. It just works. It just it's malleable. It's transformative. It's it's equal and balanced as it is, you know, able to test everybody's limits at the same time. It's an incredible game. And it's so incredible that people get to enjoy the sport. You know, I'm 26 years old now. I started playing this game when I was 14 or 15. And so thinking about like having an outlet like that in my day-to-day -day adult life would be an incredible opportunity and 
I do love vicariously living through watching everybody play. I don't know if Jones talked about it much, but there was this time where we had this dream of playing in like an actual field against people we've never met. That was when we thought to ourselves, like, we've made it. Our game has gone somewhere. When we play against a team we've never met any of these individuals before, and they're playing our game, that's when Town Ball's made it. So Tommy Sanchez said the same thing when I interviewed him a few weeks ago. I don't know if you're referring to the same thing, but when you guys went to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, I want to say this was 2017, you guys were playing a vintage baseball club from that area. Tommy said that when you when you all played town ball with them for the first time, for him, that was when it was like, oh, this is real. This, this, yeah. this is bigger than us. Yeah, we showed up as a bunch of high school kids, and, you know, Jones was the mastermind behind figuring out how to get this thing to work. He was in contact with a old school bat and ball league there. And he sent them the copy of our rules we had made. And they said, let's play. And we showed up and they were all in matching uniforms. They all had old school uh, hats on and jerseys. And um, they kind of remind me of the newsies. Yeah. yeah. And, um, there's a picture of Jones and I standing in the dugout. And it's got his name on the back of his shirt and my name on the back of his shirt. And I've, I still have that picture. And that was the moment where it's like him and I had just kind of stood there silently realizing how far this has progressed and watching people. There was a crowd. There was a like stadium seating. There were people in San Francisco walking around, stopping and watching this game because it wasn't baseball, something else. People are like, what is this? And there was such a large, you know, group of people coming out to support the San Francisco League. And we had carpooled in a minivan, you know? We yeah, yeah. Out, how do we get there? <laughs> We're ready to go. And that's when it that's when it hit home of this is possible. It, it, this is possible. We have strangers we've never met who know how to play our game. They had practiced it. They had come up with their own strategy. And they haven't seen our strategy because they haven't played with us. So we got them on a couple of hidden ball tricks because they didn't think about it. Well, you know, that's the fun of town ball. And that seems to be the biggest eye-opening aspect to a new player is the freedom. Taking over every inch of the game is is all these different variables that it, it it's mind-opening. You know, there's no foul territory. You could, The ball's always live. So it's it's great when stuff like that happens and and i love seeing people who are new to the game click with that yeah in their, in their head and then use that i it's it's so fun to watch my i actually got the opportunity to have a golden gate park game experience myself the last summer when we had our first ever regional tournament with the uh the six teams i was on jones's team from oregon and we played at Golden Gate Park against Tommy's team, the Bay Area Golden Bears. The weather was immaculate. It was it was such a great time. And then of course we had a we had like a pickup game before that one. And per usual with Jones, he's just recruiting people off the lawn who are bystanders who's watching. And turns, <laughs> a couple of them actually had cricket experience, so they actually took to the game pretty quickly. And they even their swing, you could tell they had cricket experience because they were kind of scooping up underneath, but the 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 raw just organic life that was that was there it was beautiful to be a part of that's such an incredible way to describe that moment because that's exactly how we even made this possible was just as you said raw organic connection and and really coercing people to come play that's how we got thomas sanchez and that's how we got mason they were just kind of awkward kids that walked and watched the game a little bit and we're like hey come play mm -hmm. and okay now you're captain okay now you're you know <laughs> and it's like that's that was the whole point of town ball was anybody could play anybody could could walk up and show up and and we'll teach you and we'll get you a part of it and um low barriers to entry 
low barriers to entry, but once you figure out the game, as you said, once it clicks, there is definitely a learning curve. Definitely a learning curve. And I think I really, I really want to take uh, a little bit of time to give a shout out to Jones, his influence in the success of this and his determination to make this successful with any game. It's not the game itself with town ball. I think it's the people that are involved. Jones was just so, so influential in the creation of it. And, you know, him and I had never really talked about it. But my thing was Jones was a really big father figure to me in high school. I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad. I grew up with my grandpa. Having someone, having an adult male figure that I could look up to every day when I went to school was huge for me. And really following in his footsteps of, you know, being humble and compassionate and really trying to involve as many people as possible. I mean, we didn't turn down anyone to play this game. And I think that was huge in a school that was very socially awkward, very much so a misfit, nerdy community of people who probably in stereotypical high school situations wouldn't really fit into the norm. And I think that it was his his influence, his light that he would cast onto students and just the joy that he received from this game that made it so special to all of us. He was so excited, so thought-provoking, and it really challenged all of us as students to really try to make this work. And when I left, I was worried that it was going to die. And when I saw Jones continuing to instill that light into other younger individuals, that's when I knew like, this is going to be a thing. And he would call, he called me and said, yeah, we're playing in this new, I'm in a whole new state in a whole new school, teaching kids how to play town ball. And that just was like the coolest thing. So yeah, having, having that come to moment of like, wow, there are people around the United States playing this that I've never met before. Um, it's pretty incredible. And I love seeing it definitely on the social media. It's pretty tight. It's so amazing you you make that point, Brad, because I would actually say the exact same thing about Jones for myself. You know, I getting into getting into high school, my my own family structure changed a little bit and I Jones is the closest thing in certainly in like high school or years or older out of out of the men that I've known in that time period. He's the closest thing I've had to a positive father figure for me. Absolutely. Too. I just, 100%. yeah, he's, and I've told him that like, I don't think, I don't think he knows that what I'm about to say next, but like, I want him in my wedding someday. Like that's how much like <laughs> he's a good he's, guy. He's going to be like the oldest groomsman in my wedding party. <laughs> it's going to be like a bunch of 20s guys in their 20s and then him but that's yeah. okay. He's he's young at heart. So he could he could officiate my wedding for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. Just an incredible man. And I think that's the spirit that Town Ball continues to live on through and will continue to live on through is that just genuine curiosity of the world and genuine compassion about bringing people together in an athletic way. I hope the sport never dies. And I think it's beautiful that that seemed to have also very much been a consequence of the 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 class culture, the the school culture that you guys were in. You weren't really in a traditional math class. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. No, we weren't. And that was the that was my first introduction to real groundbreaking, true critical thinking in a classroom setting, you know, as opposed to being told a line is a point between A and B. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, the line is this, and this is how it forms. And, oh, okay, well, people would go up and they would talk about geometry, and we would say, no, that's not true. Well, how so? And so this whole thing was, you know, really from the brain of Mr. Daniel Jones and being able to instill constructive thinking and into the younger generation to be able to thoughtfully provoke um, this game. And I love that he's continuing to do so. It's so interesting. I feel like I'm an old man when I watch the videos and I see that was us. We were young people playing this game. 
there's so. a there's a quote I, I i i dug deep into my messenger chat with jones it's like a million messages long a couple summers ago we i think we sent out some type of a survey to a bunch of former players just asking them basic questions of, of feedback about the game I don't even remember what the question was, but he actually sent me one of your comments from that survey. And you're saying it would be interesting to create a creed declaring the freedoms town ball allows the players to have and why the game is the epitome of strategy and choice. While the premise of the game is set in stone, town ball allows brilliance and bravery to reinvent a whole new game within the game, be it mentally or through physical skill it could be used to intrigue new groups to participate in learning the game or to create a fraternal bond between players who've already grown to love it. <laughs> I mean, wow. that's, that sounds a lot like basically everything we've just been talking about. Absolutely. A lot of our, you know, founding fathers in American pastime would kind of live by a creed. You know, our nation is built around a creed, the Constitution, right? Our way of life, we have our own moral creeds. Um, and there is a special fraternal bond, not necessarily in a man-to-man setting, but more in an individual-to-individual setting. And that exactly is what Town Ball emanates, is that kind of allowance of freedom and that structure of choice which seems like it would be an you know an opposite of one another to have structure of free will um yeah but that's what the game is intended to do i i don't quite enjoy games that have a a certain ending or a specific pattern that you need to follow um there are many games like that i think baseball being one of them, if you ever do watch a baseball game start to finish, it seems like you almost know what's going to happen 90% of the time. It's those few instances that get highlighted and say, oh, that's a great game. But town ball, you're on the edge of your seat the entire time trying to figure out what's going to happen. Anything could happen if you're not paying attention. And that was the point of the game. That's why we structured it with one out. Because uh, we didn't want to wait in outfield anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get people moving constantly. Well, um, and then when the ball's in the air, you should just keep advancing down the stakes because what do you have to lose? Of course. You know, of there, course. if it's out, it's out. But at least you tried to get ahead. So it incentivizes action to take place. I don't know if you guys do this. This was kind of a cultural thing, but I used to rush the catcher of the ball while it was in air in order to scare them to not catch it. Because I had nothing to lose. Because if somebody would cross the home base, that was a point, regardless of if somebody got out. It just had to be they had to cross it before I got out. So I would take the point as a martyrdom by rushing the person catching it. Because eventually the person would miss, pick up the ball, and throw it at me because I'm in between bases. But I would get a point from it. So, so you would you would distract the catcher from the guy on four running to five. Correct. Long okay. enough for him to get home before he could actually catch the ball midair. And I would do so by running up to them, screaming, ah! and that would scare the crud out of them. They would miss the ball, pick it up, throw it at me, but the guy would get home by then. That's there awesome. was just so many great I mean, that is a as I said, that's a cultural thing because those are probably things that your crew hasn't seen before, maybe. We, um, well, we've seen it. That that whole scene is actually very similar, but it doesn't take place with the catcher. Usually, it's done by so if if in that situation the guy's on four and you're trying to buy him time, usually the guy on three will just start running out to the outfield and try and bait the defense to go peg him long yeah. enough that uh they'll they'll bite it just yeah. far enough away from fifth that they're not going to field it back in before the runner gets there. Um, all the yeah. time. That's Especially one of my favorite things to do. Batter, we were just trying to get the batter to steal the first long enough. Definitely, definitely one of the craziest athletic games I've ever played. That's for sure. Yeah. I have more experience with like smaller pickup games with like anywhere between eight to 12 people because I've had, I've kind of had to start from scratch where I am in Michigan um, but playing on a full team against a full team 
eight times in a row last summer, that was true pressure. And that was, that was fun. I mean, it, it, there's, there's nothing like it. It really jogs the mind about how to manipulate the game when you have more players. I remember when we moved the base back, we started to have two catchers. We'd have the first catcher that would catch behind the zone and a second catcher that would retrieve it when the first catcher missed. Back up, yeah. And that wasn't in play before. Nobody ever thought of that. Because in baseball, there's assigned positions. You can't do that. You're either third base, second base, you're shortstop. And we decided to say, well, there's not a rule that says you have to stay there. And so I was notorious for not putting anybody on first or uh, not putting anybody on first or fourth because them stealing was fine for me because I was confident as a pitcher that I could peg somebody and I needed the people either for outfield or for second. Yeah. So my strategy as a captain changed and I was lucky enough to have people who were confident in my decision-making, which is super important in town ball. Um, But my strategy was different. Jones really liked to try to get people out at first. I so much wasn't so worried about it because I knew that I could, I could make that throw. So the game was always changing. Well, ever ever since I've been been very like serious about town ball, just beyond playing and actually spreading it, you know, wherever I am, I don't know if I've been more confident about other things in my life than the fact that town ball is so good of a game that it just has to grow. Because it's it's addicting. It's just so fun to play. I've been around so many new first-time players and seen too many positive reactions to think that it's just going to fizzle out. I mean, so many people when they hear when they first hear about it, they're first of all they raise their eyebrows and perk up their ears and they say, "What the heck?" There's five bases. There's no foul territory. There's only one out per inning. The ball is never dead you can peg the players you can shuffle the batting order it's it, it it's so crazy they just have to see it so i i just can't wait to spend the rest of my life playing town ball <laughs> <laughs> and i think i think that people like yourself grant um are the ones who are going to continue to keep it alive and i want to tell you how much i appreciate it as someone who has been able to watch this process really flourish and bloom um in such a beautiful way thank you so much for being a huge part of this thank you for doing these interviews it's crazy to hear it's crazy to hear other people's voice talk about this game people who i used to know very personally and would see every day and would spend time with and then going away to college and growing up and getting you know an adult job or whatever and never kind of hearing from them again hearing them know you know know that they're still playing and know that they're still involved it's incredible it is more than you'll ever know so thank you so much my pleasure my friend i i can't imagine myself not being involved in this game for for a long 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 time <laughs> well thank you so much for the 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 stories um i we finally got i i you're you're kind of town ball legend at this point so <laughs> i i i if there if there was any any interview i wanted to do it was this one so thank you so much for for everything with that and uh yeah uh there's another fresno tournament happening this summer i don't i'm not going to be there that's too much travel for me but jones is going to be bringing down a team from oregon and there'll be a few from california participating so um and you're in what they're they're working the dates out for it right now it's going to be sometime in june i think okay what state are you in what state do you live in again i live in michigan michigan okay yeah, yeah, I'm on I'm on Eastern time right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Turns out vintage baseball is huge in the Midwest. I had like, no idea. Yeah, and I didn't either until after we moved. Uh, so there's they've they've actually shown quite a bit of support for this game. Jones and I got to present at the Vintage Baseball Association conference in Detroit last April. And that was the first time where we were showing this to a group of people who have been sort of doing what we're doing in a different way for a long time. You know, it, it, vintage baseball 
is a slightly different animal because they're already playing a in a in a sense a game that's already there they're just playing it in a way that's not being played anymore whereas town ball is literally it feels categorically different i my mom has always told me that she almost thinks it's a mistake to compare town ball to baseball um yeah a little bit um especially when talking to baseball players but yeah Last summer was the first summer where we got to actually introduce the game to several different vintage baseball teams out in the Midwest, and we'll do it again this year. But I'm way more focused on trying to create local playing opportunities for people who just live in my county. I got an official team name. We're working on jerseys right now. But yeah, it's 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 cool to try and make it more real here. When I I I'm not everyone who's played it here has seen what I've seen, and I want to try and help them see those things. So, awesome. yeah. Well, I look forward to meeting you in person sometime soon. It'll and, happen. Uh, being able to pick up a game and see how rusty my arm is. <laughs> It'll happen someday, I'm sure. So thanks for the time, Brad. All righty, Grant. We'll see you soon, okay? Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the 21st Century Town Ball Podcast. If you want to learn more about the sport, you can visit our website at 21ctownball.com or look at our content on Instagram under the page at 21ctownball. If you're interested in playing the game or creating your own townball team, you can DM us on social media or email us directly at 21ctownball at gmail.com and we would be happy to start a conversation with you. I'm your host, Grant Moore, and this is the 21st Century Town Ball Podcast. Is there a ball in your town?